You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, a lot of Trent Williams and Dwayne Haskins talk with Les Carpenter and Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post. Also, it's Therapy Thursday and even for you Nats fans who are still on a high, there are things you want to know about the Redskins and I'm going to discuss some of the young guys on the roster, are they planning on Alex Smith playing, and why do national media break stories more than the local guys? I'll have some answers. Then there's my weekly chat with Chef Mel. Before I get on with the podcast, I want to alert you to my first live show. We'll be doing the podcast from City Tap in Ashburn on November 18th. The restaurant slash bar opens on November 4th. So mark the date and come join us on November 18th. Now, on to my discussion with Les Carpenter and Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post. All right, well, I'm here with my Washington Post guys, Les Carpenter, Kareem Copeland. We'll be talking some Trent Williams, some Dwayne Haskins. So I want to jump right into it. First of all, thanks for joining me. Are you guys surprised at the turn this Trent Williams situation took, Kareem? Surprised? I don't know if anything about this surprises me, just because it's been so strange throughout the entire course of the thing. Um, I wasn't surprised that he reported because you assumed that he would before, right. um, you know, before losing the entire season. Um, failing a physical because a helmet discomfort. Now that was a little <laughs> bit of a surprise. That was un that w- we didn't anticipate that. So that part is strange to me. But I expect this whole thing to continue to be strange until. They, we get to the off season and then try to figure out what the heck's going to happen from there. And then it might take a few months. How about you, Russ? Yeah. No, well, first of all, nothing surprises me around here True. anymore. <laughs> uh, but so, obviously, nothing in this thing has surprised me one bit. I mean, it just I, I Trent coming back was all you know. I you could think was a surprise, but you know, at some point, it almost seemed like he was going right, to do absolutely. that. And it, it just all of this. Uh, the helmet thing, yeah, that was that was a crazy surprise, and all I kept thinking of today was Trent Williams' physical versus Albert Hainsworth, uh, <laughs> the fitness test, and you know, in a way, they they both wound up the same, didn't they? They did, and it's funny because having covered that, that was a show, but that was only a show for a week, ten days. I can't remember how long it took, but that was weird because you had to. I mean, we were talking about this earlier today, but you. Know, you Somebody would be out there. I think Mitch Tischler from NBC Sports would be out there filming it, mm-hmm. so you know he would see it. But then you'd you know you'd come out here and you'd hide uh, you know off to the side a little bit at seven a.m. to see if Hainsworth did it. And when he's walking up, somebody would kind of give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. But it was over in a week. This thing feels like it's going to drag on for a long time. Yeah, I mean it has dragged on for a long time, and yes. I think it'll continue because I've. 
the one thing I kind of keep coming back to is it's pretty clear that Trent doesn't want to play for this team, right? right? So I don't have these high expectations that he will. So it, it's all of a sudden we're like in this almost coy playing games with working NFL rules about how that works and, and eligibility rules and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, no, I don't think this is this is not going to be a weak thing. This is not a short thing. It'll keep going. No, it will be. I mean, Les, were you surprised that there was no trade at all? No, because I don't think they wanted to trade him. Right. At least I don't think they wanted to trade him now. I mean, it, you know, I've, I've reported this all, you know, throughout camp and into the uh, into the season. Right. People have told me that Bruce Allen has basically convinced Daniel Snyder that he does not that he will handle the situation and that uh, you know that that they will allow the fines and the accumulation of uh, of time issues to drag Trent back into the team. And so, yeah, I expected that they were not going to change from that that stance. Uh, his value may go up more in the offseason in a trade. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe they feel they can get him to continue to play here again. Uh, which you know, would be I, shocking to me. Which would be shocking after everything that has happened. But then again, what are we shocked by here? And that's true. And you know, the other thing, too, that you would hear about with them with the trade is that if you were going to somehow get him away from this team, the price tag was pretty high. So I think it was either a playmaker, first-round pick, one of those things, too. So it, in other words, the bar was set high, and I don't think there was really ever a chance of a team meeting that price. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. And, and they just weren't working from a position of power to demand these right. high things, the, the, this high price. And that's what I also start to think about a little bit come off season. You know, when there's the draft and all these, uh, you know, there's going to be the draft, there's going to be other tackles um, on the market. Does his, I wonder if his value goes up just because right. there's going to be more options out there by the time we, you know, when it's off season and free agency and all that kind of stuff. So that's why it's just such a weird situation because I don't see you at what point does any team in the league willing to give that up just right. because of the timing and the situation. And well, I was just going to say, there's going to be a, a ton of uncertainty here over the right. next couple months, just about what list he will go on. He's on the restricted, right. uh, you know, uh, the exemption now, exemption. but he's not going to stay on the exemption. If he doesn't pass his physical, he he can't be on the, you know, they can't he can't be on the physically unable to play. He can't be on injured reserve. There's all these different lists he can't be on. So then, where does the status, you know, you start to get back into that whole Joey Galloway ruling back in 2000 when there was an arbitrator that said that Joey Galloway had to play eight games for a season? Does that get pulled into play here? Because even if Trent suddenly passes a physical and is allowed to play, you obviously won't have played eight games. Right. So, you know, we, we don't even know what his status will be at the end of this year. Uh, and that, that adds to everything in this as well. And it's funny because with those eight games, when I talked to somebody at the NFLPA, they didn't, they said, He's just got to basically show up for a game. You got to report 30 days before that. These guys, I heard from from the Redskins that they didn't that it was only I think like a game. It wasn't as and so like, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty even for me. Even having heard from those two sides, I still don't know exactly because it just feels <laughs> well, like there's likely going to be legal right, status. Right, that's going right, to have to somehow right. go well, through a process, whether it's an arbitrator, whether it's court, yeah. what, something. That will happen here either before the end of the season or more likely in January, and then you, you still got the coaching search and all the other things going on here. <laughs> you know that I it this could be something that could drag on for a long time, but it, it probably likely can't be traded anyway until right. we get to the the end right. of the league year in the spring. But still, it's a lot going on. Did they did the skins mishandle this? 
I know that's the perception outside here. But I mean, I think whatever they do, people are going to probably perceive it that way. But do you think they mishandled it? Did they play it right? I think it's too hard to say right now with so many twists and turns in this thing. Yeah. And with the, you know, did they initially mishandle it? Did, did Trent mishandle right. it? Who knows? I, I think it's a, it's a complicated thing that, that doesn't have an easy answer. And I, go ahead. No, I was going to almost play off the same thing is that. So what is what would have been the right play? I mean, right. clearly I you the the cost wasn't you know the high price tag wasn't there. So do you give up on arguably your best player in on your team and just give him away for um, for a price that you aren't right. typically happy for? Or and I know there was some concern about you know what precedent you're setting. Right. Like all these other things kind of come into play. So I don't know what the. I mean, it's hard to just it get hard. a walk away from. You know, a seven-time Pro Bowl left tackle and just give him away. Uh, but, you know, this if he doesn't want to be here, what do you do? Right. <laughs> this is a situation that really hasn't happened before in the right. NFL. Yeah. So there really is Of course it would have happened here. Of course it would have happened here. But it just, again, I mean, this is, this is different than all the others. Right. And so there really isn't something to go back and say, well, here's how this should work or how's how this shouldn't work. Because it, it just, this whole thing is, is just something that has never happened and we don't have anything to look at and say, well, here's a template. And I think the other thing, too, is, and I think where some people felt like that maybe they mishandled was, should they have been pushing harder earlier to try and make a trade rather than waiting to seemingly last minute? But it also seemed like the price tag had been set in their minds and nobody was going to come close to that. And I also probably think, or I do think, that we don't know if they mishandled it because what if they get in the offseason and they get a pretty good offer for them or a pretty good deal for them? Then you could say that, they played it right. So it's just, I think there's still a lot left to be written. I think the other problem for fans is they don't have a lot of faith that this organization will turn out right because of how things have gone here in the past. I mean, there's just risk on how you play it. You know, that's with every trade and every trade season. You know, a lot of times you want to wait till the deadline because that's Burr's right. movement and people get a little bit desperate and things like that. But that's the risk you play when you do that. So. If you thought you had a better offer or, or some reports say there was a better offer from Cleveland earlier and, and they tried to wait and, and, and push it for more, and that, that's, that's the game. That's, that's right. how you play this trade game. So, I mean, and sometimes you lose it. And I'm not sure. I don't know that there was an offer. And my, I don't know if that my was understand, yes. My understanding is that it never got to the point where they really could have offered anything. Mm -hmm. So to say that it was, I'm not sold on that just yet. So. Yes. Um, let's turn to Dwayne Haskins. The, the other, there's two stories this week, and it's always a quarterback here. But, you know, I, I mean, are you guys – I know that Case Keenum's in the concussion protocol, so we don't know yet really what's going to happen. But it almost – it felt like – it almost feels like Dwayne Haskins will end up starting Sunday. That's just the feeling and the vibe. Do you agree with that? Or? Well, every player today in the locker right. room kind of spoke in a manner of Is that, it? yes, he's starting. Like, before we even said anything to Donald Penn, he said – yeah, he's starting. And then yeah. we, when we talked to Morgan Moses and everybody else, it was it was he was the one who said, "Oh, I'm starting." Right. 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 <laughs> everybody did, else yeah. acted like it was a foregone conclusion. Right. And right. so, um, from that feel and from the guys who were been at practice and been in the locker room, if they feel that way, I tend to feel that way also. Yeah. Well, if Case Keenum hasn't been cleared from the concussion protocol on Wednesday, right, and that is such an uncertain thing where right. you're you're going into independent doctors and you're you, you have a lot of baselines to look at and you know and measure and they want to see a practice and those things, I think we're kind of running out of time for right. Case Keenum Absolutely. to start. So. Yeah, I think this is looking like this is going to be, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins' first start, and 
you know, I think it's about time we really see what, you so, know, yeah, what see what he th- could do starting a game. What do you think, what's the benefit for him of that full week? Because this will be one of the rare weeks he gets a full week of reps. What's the benefit? Uh, the benefit is he's working with the first team, which he hasn't gotten to do a lot. Uh, the benefit is he gets to go through these plays that, you know, have been something that I, I think they, they haven't given him enough time to really work through, and I think he's, he's sort of struggled with a little bit. Right. And uh, and this is, you know, a chance, too, for him to act like the starter. Right. I think when you're the backup, it's hard to come in and, and feel like you're the guy. If you come in and take over a whole week, you are the guy. And I think that changes your mindset and changes the mindset of how others look at you. And so I think that's that's sort of an underrated but very important part Absolutely. of Absolutely. It's quarterback. Well, I also think, and you mentioned um, more chance to learn plays, but on top of that, I also think it gives a whole week of scheming to Dwayne's strengths. They're putting in the entire package with Dwayne, or assuming. As, right. Assuming. And I, and I think that, that's a good point, too, because I think what you'd always – what you'd hear with him is the way they have the packages for him. Mm-hmm. So at least he can go rep them, rep them, rep them, rep them. And then when you get in the game, the problem is sometimes it doesn't play out in the game the way you hope, mm-hmm. but at least you're comfortable with more for him. He's more comfortable with them going in. I think at his stage in his, in his development, that's probably more so than another guy who's more experienced, whether in college or whatever, that he needs those to feel comfortable. Well, you know, it's something. I, I, Jay Gruden was one of the coaches who would script the start of a, you right. know, the, the first 15 or whatever. Bill Callahan is also a very big scripter. And in some ways, I would think, just knowing what I kind of know about Callahan's history with this, he is even more obsessive about it than even Jay Gruden right, was. Right. And so I think he is going to spend all day Saturday, I'm talking about Callahan, sweating out what will work best with Dwayne in this situation, that situation, right. this situation, and go through a million different possibilities and, come and probably up with throw 14, a ton of them out. And, yeah. come, come up with 14 runs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, they'll try, exactly, and they will try to establish that. But I do think that there will be a lot of thought put into what works best for him here right. as opposed to when you're saying – on Saturday afternoon, hey, what are the plays that you're most comfortable running? Right. People yeah. stick these in in case something happens. Right. And I think that's important, too. Yeah, that's what it the is. whole week gives you right there. It absolutely is. And you know, and you know that there's a lot of angst among Redskins fans because of what he's shown the first couple of times, which you can't judge a kid at 22 off of those games. But you know, what is your expectation for him? And, and how, I mean, again, I guess it goes without saying you can't write him off yet. So what are your expe- expectations um, I don't know what to expect, to be honest. I don't think I not have any Not just for this real... game, but moving forward. Not moving just forward. one game, oh, moving I forward. I think, I mean, I still have faith in him. I think mm-hmm. he's still going to be a, a good NFL quarterback. I mean, I don't think that, what, two appearances and one full season as a starter at Ohio State sums up who this guy is going to be oh, for sorry, the rest of his life. What school was that, Queen? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was Green's being a real, Michigan guy. I was being real nice right there. Real Sorry. nice right there. Um, but yeah, no, I still I still expect him to develop like, you know, everybody and and reach the potential that people thought that there were, right. that he was drafted of and people saw. It just might take time. Right. Some guys take time. Some guys take time. And this is a guy without a lot of experience. Right. And there's, and I think it was Morgan Moses today that said, you know, you, you can't buy experience. Right. You know, that's what the good thing about right. this week, week will be is that he gets thrown into the fire and gets to do it. And he's going to just have to do it. He does. And I think the other thing, too, that the other thing he has to experience is the up and downs mm-hmm. and the adversity. And, and how do you respond to that? And I've been big on that because I think that's a big part of playing quarterback. 
all eyes are on you. So you have a bad game against Minnesota. What's your response to that during the week? That's all stuff you have to go through as an NFL quarterback that I think he's learning that he has it that he didn't have to do it. He's at Ohio State. There wasn't a lot of that. You know, he just wasn't. In high school, there wasn't a lot of that. You're the guy, and it's it's easy. This is so, more adversity than he's ever faced. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more adversity. Again, he's, he's 14 college starts. Uh, he's 22 years old. He's playing without either the real good tight ends that are the pass catchers on his team that are supposed to be difference makers. He's playing with a patched-up offensive line in front of him. He's playing with kind of a rotation of running backs at different times behind him because, you know, this guy's hurt, this guy's coming in, this guy's not playing, this guy is. You know, you're, you're still trying to, trying to establish wide receivers here. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's going on around him right. that's, ex, you know, external from the other issue, which is, you know, mastering his offense. Right. And every person who's gone through this particular offense has, has struggled with it. You know, yeah. Alex Smith struggled it last year he with did. it. He did, absolutely. Uh, you know, Case Keenum, I thought the great line that he had. This is like learning Portuguese, which yeah. is not an easy language to learn. All of that is adding up here. So it's not like you could just say, oh, well, we could just put this, uh, you know, little thing of right. learning how to call the plays or learning how to call the protections or those things in, in its little bubble. You've got all these other things. That he, he doesn't have, you know, a line that he can fully trust in front of him. He doesn't have receivers he may be able to fully trust to catch no the ball, and he doesn't have team. tight ends. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and he's probably not going to have Chris Thompson this week. And, you know, or maybe he will. I don't know. But, you know, that, say he doesn't, that's, again, another weapon that's gone. And so it's uh, – yeah, I, I think it's a very difficult situation for him. If everyone was looking for the easy growth for Dwayne Haskins this year and this place has not been it. No, and I think, like I said, I think the growth is going to have to come away from some of the results we see on the field. It's going to have to be an approach. And, again, how do you handle certain situations because that's all part of it. So you don't want to just fully judge him based on the results of the field for exactly what you said, Les. I mean, those are – there is not a lot. And the, the kid's already gone through a coaching change. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's going to have to grow up through ugly. Right. Is basically what this is going to have to be. And I, you know, is that fair to him? No. Is that That's as easy as Patrick Mahomes had it in Kansas City or, you know, somebody else has had it? Daniel Jones is, you know, he's going through his up and downs, but he's, you know, it's going to be a very nurturing environment for him. You know, he's not going to have any of that. It's going to be, it's going to be an ugly year. It's going to be a really nasty, ugly year. But, through that adversity, maybe he comes greatness. Right. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. you know, so that's that will be the test for him in all of this. And, and there's a new playbook coming next year. There you go. Let's end on that one because that will be a whole <laughs> off-season topic. All right. Les Carpenter, Kareem Copeland, thank you very much. Read the work in the Washington Post. You guys got any stories you want to plug? Uh, a lot of Trent, a lot of Dwayne. <laughs> all right. That's, that goes for everybody. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. After this break, the doctor is in. One of the questions I'm going to answer, can the Redskins simplify the playbook more for Dwayne Haskins? Okay, now it's time for Therapy Thursday. The doctor is in. Let's get to your mailbag questions. Johnny Guccione wants to know, since Trent reported and will only have one year left on his contract, how much will that affect his trade value? First, we're not sure yet what's going to happen with that contract. And let's assume that he's going to actually end up playing or be on the active roster or whatever. And let's say he only has one year left on his contract. And I know we just talked a lot about Trent, but I'm going to spend one minute talking about this. So 
Here's why. First, did the Redskins ever receive a first-round offer? I've had a few people say no. I've heard the other way as well. So I don't know that, but I don't know that there was a firm offer. I know there's a report that Cleveland did offer. My understanding is that it never reached a point where the Browns could offer them anything. I think it was about six, seven weeks ago. Now, with a 2-5 and five record at the trade deadline, why would the Browns offer a one when it might be a top-half pick? I, w- I think teams would only offer a one if they knew it was going to be a low first-round pick. Otherwise, it's probably a two and a three. The Redskins were holding firm on probably getting a solid one or a playmaker. And I think the playmaker six, seven weeks ago is really what they wanted. As far as the offseason and Trent Williams, the feeling within the Redskins, and I've talked to some other teams about this too, um, they don't think it's a death sentence by any means if he only has one year left. Anyone who trades for him, they say, will sign him to an extension so it doesn't matter if it's one year left or two. That's their hope slash belief. I think more of that value will depend on how many teams truly want him. If it's just one, then that team knows the Redskins will have to trade him at some point before the draft. That, more than how many years left, will probably decide his value. All right, on to number two, at the Rel World. Um, with the front office and Haskins dominating headlines, want to know how I see some of the young guys that are keepers on the current roster. They're progressing well in your eyes. Well, I think the keepers are easy to see, and I think there's a good base on defense. Deron Payne. Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, Landon Collins. I think, you know, I think even Cole Holcomb, I'm going to throw in that group. I think what I like about Holcomb is that he's smart and he learns. I talked to him a week or so ago, and I'm going to have more of this probably in a future podcast, about what is it that you're learning in pass coverage? And he talked about the eyes, the eye discipline. I thought that was a good answer because that's exactly where I was going to go with that. So I think there's potential there. Those guys are all young, the other ones. So even though they're starting playing out, they're all young. Terry McLaurin, love his approach. It's fantastic and should be mimicked by others. He has talent, but he's going to make it because of that approach. He's a culture guy, as I think these others are as well. Tim Settle has a good shot because of the culture in the D-line room. Guys like Payne and Allen help bring him along as a rookie. Settle was out of shape last summer, needed to add strength. Those two, and probably Ioannidis as well, helped him get there. They pushed him to do so. I think that's where the culture in a room can push you one way or another. In this case, they brought him along. Um... I think there are other guys with questions. Darius Geis, it's the knee. Yeah, and yes, the Redskins know every bit that he's that he's every bit the big kid that he was portrayed before the draft. But the health is a big factor. So the jury's out on him. Let's see what he does in the second half of the year. They need Bryce Love to be a healthy two next year. Um, I think one little nugget on that, I think they did know that he was going to probably need to have that scar tissue scraped and, and fixed um, after the initial surgery. So I don't think that was a surprise. Anyways, but he's still got to be healthy next year. We need to see more flashes in the pass rush game from Montez Sweat. It takes time to develop as a pass rusher, and his run D has been solid, it seems. But he needs to flash more in the pass rush game. And I think um, there are guys that I like as backups or special teamers, like Sean Dion Hamilton. He's smart, instinctive, but he's small. Um, I like the potential of Wes Martin at guard. He's been hurt. We just haven't seen him play in a while. Pierschbacher at center. I think he's got some potential. He's got to add strength. What does he do next year? I think they're worth developing at this point. I like corner Jimmy Moreland. Not sold on him being a starter just yet. While he made plays this summer, he also gave up a few things. I think those plays overshadowed what he what he still had to do. But I love his mindset, and I think it gives him a chance. And he's the kind of guy I think you want on the roster because of that mindset. He's a scrapper and a fighter, and I like that. He's small, though, but he is a scrapper and a fighter, and he is fast and talented. A guy like receiver Kelvin Harmon will probably depend on who is the next coach. I think maybe the same with Moreland because it depends on the size. Harmon is really is a really good guy um, with a, co- a coach like Bill Callahan because of the run game and his physical skills. 
The next coach might prefer a guy like Steven Sims, smaller, quicker. We'll see. Dwayne Haskins needs to show more, both you know on the field and the way he's approaching everything, to believe that he'll be the guy. Right now, he's a first-round pick with talent. We need to see more. Don't write him off yet. Let's see how he responds from here. That, I think, will determine a lot. On to at JSWAT20. Again, more Dwayne Haskins, with Haskins apparently having trouble grasping the play's playbook. Um, couldn't coaches just make it easier for him in the short term? And, you know, I'll just I'll sum it up that way. Um, I do believe that some of this is already being done. As one member of the organization told me that interception against Minnesota is a day one install play. But in fairness to Haskins, the issue wasn't the read or a complication with it. It was the throw that the throw sailed. So if you've noticed, um, because the emphasis on the run game, they don't always use a ton of formations anymore. There are a lot of two and three tight end sets. I think that kind of simplifies it on its own. I think getting the run game going will also help Haskins. Um, I know that there's been an issue with Haskins in getting the plays right. That's why vets will talk about him getting in the playbook more. It's not always about a, in a negative tone. It's more as a, you know, you got to, hey, get in the playbook more. Do this, do this. In other words, keep working, keep, you know, work harder, work harder, work harder, work more. That's the answer for a lot of these guys, especially the veterans. They're encouraging, but it's also what they know he must do. Let's see where it goes from here. I know a lot of the vets feel he needs a lot more time, so it's not just about simplifying everything. However, and I think the key here, and it's what they've been doing, is to have several packages of plays he's comfortable with. That's what Kevin O'Connell is, in, is one of the things he has to do, and I think he, my understanding is that is what they've been doing. And then I think the key is let him practice those during the week. Some players can go in and excel without those reps. Haskins is not at that point yet. Keep in mind, just running plays doesn't always mean the plays will develop the way you'd like or the way you think on paper. Based on a pre-snap look, the play might change or the one you thought was available no longer is. If, if, the, if, the, team, if the defense shows zone and ends up playing man, you've got to know that and you've got to know it now because now you have to go the other way. There are answers within these plays, but you've got to know the answer. You've got to know what you're seeing to determine, if, if, to determine the right answer and at the right pace. So that's a lot of what he's going through right now. So it's not, yes, I think they can do some things with that, absolutely. But I think there are other things that he's going to have to keep doing on his own to get to the point where he can, where he can be good with the pre- and post-snap reads. And that takes time. It's not a knock. It takes time. At Luke Erfman. What's your take on Sweat and Kerrigan? Kerrigan not producing like he has. Could it be more of an issue at linebacker coach and not the linebackers? Well, they definitely need more production out of this group, especially with the front that is able to collapse the pocket the way they are. I don't know that it's the linebacker coach or the scheme, but I do know that, for example, Preston Smith's production increased when he left, and people there have noticed that. I do know that Smith feels he's able to rush the passer a lot more in Green Bay. I don't know that it's about anything that they're necessarily teaching him as much as opportunities. I've also seen him be used in some slightly different ways up there, some rushing inside more, for example. I don't know how prevalent, how often that is, but I did see it on a couple of the sacks. Um, as I said earlier with Sweat, you have to give him time to develop. Very few pass rushers make instant impacts in the NFL. I know there are some, again, who complain about the scheme. And it's just not, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's not just fans. Um, I also wonder how Kerrigan would be used by other coaches. You can't drop him into coverage um, you can't drop into coverage as much as they are, but yet in this D, in the base 3-4, you have to drop your outside linebackers. That's what it requires because otherwise you're rushing five guys every play and you don't want to do that. Um, but you need to have that a higher level of athleticism at that position, I believe. Um, perhaps Kerrigan at this point is best used as a, as a pass rusher only, 
Um, let him do what he does best. I know you're all for that. Um, but he absolutely needs to have more production. I definitely agree with that. I think he would agree with that, but I think he definitely has to get more production. out. They have to get more production out of him. I'll be curious to see what happens with the next coach. Do they stick with the 3-4? You can't have both Sweat and Kerrigan on the field in a 4-3, not in a base situation, but you could use them both on obvious pass downs. You could create a good rotation, and I think they probably both would be pretty good in those roles, um, but I want to see where Sweat goes from here. At David Sims 1, um, how do the national media folks break the stories before most of the local press? Good question. I get asked this more than a few times, so I wanted to answer, and it's simple. Those guys get paid a ton of money to break these stories, so they better get them. Also, they don't break all those stories. I've broken my share. J.P. Finley has broken some. The Washington Post will break some. So they de- definitely get spread around. I will say there are some national guys who don't get credit, who don't always credit the local media, um, and might tweet out news after we do, and it looks like they broke it, but maybe we did. You know, sometimes it's a matter of they didn't see it. They, they follow a lot of people on Twitter. You don't always see it. Sometimes I'm working the phone. I get it. I put it out there. And then I found out you know, a minute later that somebody else actually had it first. Um, but the key is then to go back and credit them. Um, but yes, they're going to get a lot, no doubt. And they should. In some cases, the agents will funnel stuff to them to curry favors. This is just how it goes. Or because they have a strong relationship with them built over the years. That's also very important. These guys were all local writers who built up a lot of sources from covering the league, and those relationships carry over. Their job is to get news. So they're going to stay in touch with those guys probably more than most people. If it's a huge story, you better believe there are many people, many jockeying to get the information, whether locally or nationally. With Trent Williams, that was going to be a national, that was a national story. Over the years, um, I'm going to give you an example here. Over the years, I've had agents give me information on their guy during the season, leading into free agency, what they're thinking, where they might want to go, who's contacting them, et cetera, only to tell me at the end, hey, I promise this to so-and-so first. Hope you don't mind. So in those cases, for me, my job is to provide, and Craig Hoffman and I from, were talking about this the other day, but job is to provide context to a situation. So if you're not getting the news, you damn well better be providing context. So if, so, if somebody signs some, if the Reds can sign a player, I've got to provide context, not just why they signed him, but how does he fit in? What are they expecting from him? What else do they have? And what is the impact in the locker room, et cetera? Those are all things, you know, that's my job. As much as breaking news, that is my job. Those national guys um, also can give, you know, agents information on what other teams are thinking um, because they're calling around to them a lot too. It's kind of a quid pro quo. Nothing wrong with that. It's just what it is. But those guys, you know, because they might be able to provide them more information, sometimes they're going to get stuff that we just don't. And when you're talking to a lot of teams, because that's your job, you will learn stuff about other teams. The Redskins higher-ups are tight-lipped, but they are sometimes talking to other teams, or other teams are trying to talk to them, and those national guys might have relationships with those other teams that we just don't. Um, I always feel if I put a big story out before the Nationals get it, I feel great because it's damn hard to beat them for all these reasons. These aren't excuses. You ask for an explanation, and that's what it is. Again, my job is to try and break the news, but I better, better, better provide the context. If I can't provide the context, I'm failing at my job. Um, and then finally, at Kevin Price, at Dice Price wants to know, do the Redskins feel Alex Smith will be ready to play next year? All right, I know he's out there throwing the ball right now and doing his rehab, but I, to know, but to think he'll be ready, I haven't heard that at all. Even people close to Alex aren't sold on that. So what they know is that Smith will go through the process and see where it takes him. He's a highly motivated, um, highly competitive guy. 
I also think he wants to have some peace of mind about his situation before he decides what is his next course of action. And if he can get himself ready to play, so be it. But I don't think we're at the point where there are any expectations about playing next year. Um, for now, he's around, he's in the meetings, and he's helping during practices. Because of his cap number, I could see him on the roster even next year in the same kind of situation. And they do like him. But playing, let's see where he's at in the spring. That's a lot of surgeries to recover from and then to be able to play, especially with his game, which was more based on his legs. I mean, his leg was almost amputated. So no, you can't play. they can't plan on anything, and I don't think they are doing so. And as someone else there told me, are we supposed to now sit Dwayne Haskins for two years? I don't think that they necessarily want to do that. I think at some point the kid's going to have to go out there and play. But will Alex Smith be around? I can see that. But as far as being ready to play next year, too early, way too early to say that. But I, you know, is it out of the question? I'm not going to say that either. Anyway, that's all the Therapy Thursday questions I have for now. Now let's get on to Chef Mel and some barbecue and food talk. Back for another week with Chef Mel, talking food, talking barbecue, something better to talk about sometimes than football, Mel. So I want to get to the wings that you made for us recently, Chinese-style wings. Tell me tell me how you did that. Oh, man, it's all about the sauce, man. So one thing I use is the General Soul sauce. That's similar to like a barbecue sauce in the American way. Um, really good flavor to it. Got a little sweet. You got a little spicy to it. Um, then I add a little bit of twist to it. I added some of Dizzy Pig barbecue uh, seasoning to it. I used one of these seasons that added more flavor to it and a little smokiness to it, and it was amazing. And what with with the barbecue with the with the um, General So sauce? When yeah. did you put? When do you? When are you putting that on? Well, after I get done with the wings, so what I do is I bake the wings, then I fry them. After I do frying them, I toss them inside the sauce. After I toss them inside the sauce, I add a little bit of the seasoning to it to give it more flavor as well. You can add seasoning before it too, you know, you know, whatever one you want to do. So you, but, but like you did it after. without seasoning in the in bacon and fried first? Oh, uh, no, I season it. I season okay. it. You got it. Most, most important thing is season your chicken. Always season your chicken really well. And then once you do that, you put it in the oven for like, you know, 375. Then you can fry it for like five minutes to get a little bit of crispiness to mm -hmm. it. But one thing about it, the only thing about it is that when you fry it, it takes away the uh, seasoning sometimes. Right. So what you do is you re-season it. Okay. You know, but that it kind of yeah, but it give it a little bit more flavor. But I, once I get done putting the sauce on there, man, it's flavor on top of flavor. So you can season it and then put the sauce on there, and it, it comes out amazing, man. What you think about it? How you like? I was it? just gonna say, there's a I I love the general sauce sauce. I mean, yeah. that's that's I, that's one of my favorites. But you can tell there's that with you talked about the dizzy pig barbecue with some of that smokiness at the end. You could you got some of that too, the subtle hint of it too, mm -hmm. which which I like. I don't want it overwhelming on that because yeah. the sauce is what's going to be the star in that thing. But yes, yeah, sir, it's, it's all about the sauce. So, you know, the sauce and the season is, is always the star of the of the meats. And one thing I did too, John, I did a I did a, some a grilled chicken breast that was really right. good. Now, one thing about that chicken breast that I that I always try to watch out for is never let the chicken breast dry out because you want to. That's, <laughs> that's the, the tough. That's the number one thing. You don't want that baby to dry out. So. How do I prepare myself for doing that? Well, I try to stay here and just cook it right to the temperature it needs to be. Yep, that's right. right now. That's exactly what I do. That to <laughs> me, like it's it's all of, to me. That's all about monitoring it. Yeah. Diligently, because that's because otherwise, 
um, you're going to get it dried out. And once it's dried out, then you whatever oh, flavor's on there, it's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How long did you cook the wings at 375? I cooked the wings for about 30, 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. Okay. And then fried them for And then fried them about five minutes until they get crispy. Because once you do that, they like halfway cooked through, so they good to go. The other thing, and we were talking about this before we went on, about grilled pineapples. Oh, Which, yeah. And I have one, too, so that's one of my favorites to do. What do you do for it? Oh, man, I just slap that pineapple inside that grill and let it work. Just yeah. just put it right on there? Just put it right on there. Are you cooking it up? Are you hey, doing Hey, you know, you can add season to it, too. You know that, right? I know. That's what I'm getting to in a minute. <laughs> I got my own. So when you're doing it, though, I like, are you... Are you Oh, you can slice it like you know what I'm saying. Like depends on how you want right. to present your pineapple. Right. Um, you want to have them in the slices, or you want to have them in cubes. I like to have mine in the slice, so you can see more of the grill marks right. on there. Um, you can do it on the cubes too, but they, they I'd rather the, the slice. So, and how long are you grilling each side? Just for a couple of minutes, like like long as like depends on how hot you got your heat, the temperature of the uh, grill, right. but also. You know when that, that grill mark shows up. And that grill mark shows up. It's good because that's also good. Like you're doing a ham later in the holiday season. Mm-hmm. That Ooh, grilled pineapple is fantastic. Now here's what I'll do with it: is I take um, some brown sugar and cinnamon, and then you cut the pineapples up in cubes. This is a cube one. Actually, you could probably do the other way too, but I do it cubed for mm-hmm. this recipe. You put them. You put the um, like um, probably about a, a tablespoonful of brown sugar and a probably about a teaspoon of cinnamon mm. mix it all up put it in a bag in the fridge for about a half hour and then let the all that stuff soak into the pineapple mm. and then you grill it for for you know however till they're done you probably five ten five ten minutes tops and and it's like my kids love it it's like eating it's like a candy at that point because it's really good so that's my little pineapple thing um but so i think any way you do pineapple. Man, any way you do it, man. Yeah. Sound good. I think I need some of that from you, man. So next yeah. time you make it, uh, send that my way. I will. It's been a while, and I have to I have to get back to that because that is one of my favorites. So, um, all right. Um, you got anything else you want to talk about with your spices? Anything? Oh, man. Just shout out to Dizzy Barbecue, man, for throwing me them spices, man. I got, I got a lot of different seasons I'm about to play with. Uh, a lot of meats and everything. We'll play with those seasonings. And I got some other stuff coming up. So, you know, next time we... Uh, come on again i got some more recipes and everything we'll share with everybody and if anybody got any questions you can reach me at i am chef mel on instagram or you can reach me at chef mel on uh, twitter same thing and uh just shoot me some questions you know i'll feel free that's yeah, so absolutely right. yeah listen you guys know i do a thursday therapy podcast mel is here for your food tips so Feel free to email him or contact him on Twitter. For oh, some I'm, I'm only here for the food and beer, man. I know. We'll get to the, I'm going to get to the beer in the offseason. So, all right. Good, good deal, Mel. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Don. That's all for this week. Thank you to Les Carpenter and Kareem Copeland, the Washington Post, for joining me. Thanks to Chef Mel for coming on as usual. And as always, thank you for listening. Congrats to the Nationals. Have a good day.